from deep inside your audio device of choice. Well, live, ladies and gentlemen, live from New Orleans. Jenny Lawson and I were just discussing whether either of us remembers how to do a live show. We'll see. A live Lu show. This will be the uh, highly acidic test. First of all, something that um, I know may sound a little unfamiliar to uh, listeners who, whose, whose main news diet is uh, of the American sort, a little follow-up. Remember Brexit? It was, it was big last week. Well, it's still big, apparently, although in a different way. First of all, the British stock market went up this week. What? Yes, it went up. It uh, had its best week, according to the BBC, since 2012, because it had fallen, so it got up. It gives you a good week. See how that works? But now, if, if it really were, a major national crisis, uh, as some of those who voted for Britain to stay in the economic, in the European Union uh, posit, then you'd think that the political leadership of the country would be banding together in this moment of existential crisis to find a way forward that the entire country could agree on. That doesn't seem to be what's happening over there. Instead, we have had a pair of political dramas that, in the words of, of one politician talking to the English newspaper, The Telegraph, this weekend, makes House of Cards look like Teletubbies. First of all, the left-wing head of the Labor Party, Jeremy Corbyn, who rode into that leadership on a wave of popular support because the Labor Party... Uh, elects its leader now through a vote of the membership, and a lot of people paid three pounds to join the Labor Party so they could vote for Jeremy Corbyn, had a striking vote of no confidence lodged in him, at him, by a majority of the members of his party in Parliament. But, of course, those were people who were elected before he was from a prior era where fealty to Tony Blair was the mark of labor leadership. So that's been going on. He's refused to leave. You know, usually when the uh, British leaders, party leaders, get a vote of no confidence, they slink away. They say, I, I've had to reevaluate my position. I've had to reconsider my position. He's not considering his position. He's, he likes his position. He's hunkered down into his position. But that, that pales, ladies and gentlemen, in comparison with what's going on this week in the British Conservative Party. This is the ruling party. This is the one that has power in Parliament and in government. This is the one that should be saying, there's an existential crisis. Look, here's what we do. Instead, Boris Johnson, uh, the former mayor of London, who was regarded as the British equivalent to Donald Trump, except Boris Johnson pretends he's not as smart as he really is for popular appeal. That's how you can tell him apart from Donald Trump. And also he combs his hair forward. The uh, Boris Johnson became the symbol of the campaign to leave the European Union, recruited by a former member of David of the Prime Minister's cabinet, Michael Gove. 
who was the intellectual firepower behind the movement to leave the European Union. Boris Johnson, when uh, the Prime Minister, David Cameron, announced he was leaving the Prime Ministership because he lost, he was leading the Remain in Europe campaign. Boris Johnson, as he's known in uh, British papers, Bojo was the odds-on favorite to become the Prime Minister. Until early Thursday morning, he learned on the news that his ex-partner, Michael Gove, the guy, the intellectual firepower who had recruited him to the Leave campaign, had decided Boris didn't have what it takes to be Prime Minister. But you know who does? The guy who'd been saying for months that he didn't have what it takes to be Prime Minister, Michael Gove. It's we've we've assumed, ladies and gentlemen, here in this country for a long time, that British politics had a a certain oh I I won't say I shan't say rectitude, but a certain civility, a a certain restraint. Uh, the campaign whether to leave or to stay in the European Union started to shatter that illusion. It was what you might call a real American campaign, that is to say, full of lies. But this, this backstabbing and frontstabbing, this reveals that apparently in the minds of British political leaders, the uh, departure from the European Union isn't such a big deal after all compared to their own personal egos. Anyway, Bojo doesn't have his mojo working anymore. Hello, welcome to the show.
from New Orleans, Louisiana, just by Lane Pachetrain. I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. Looking uh, in, a, in another direction outside the United States, you may know Australia had an election this weekend, and we don't know the result yet. Now, we've been told here in the United States for so many years, you got to know the results of these elections right away. And paper, it's just too slow, and we, we need the machines, and we got to trust the machines. And and you can't trust the machines. Well, it's it's a very close race, according to where the counting was. When it stopped at 2 o'clock in the morning, they are going to resume counting on Tuesday, ladies and gentlemen. Now, I asked a friend down there, uh, basically WTF, and he said, well, uh, after this deadline of 2 a.m., then uh, all the rest of the counting can't be done in the central counting place. It has to go back to the uh, state scrutineers. That was his word. The scrutineers. I think the wait is worth it just to have that word. We need some scrutineers, ladies and gentlemen. But now we need... The Apologies of the Week. So sorry. I guess they can wait. Oh, speaking of waiting, O.J. Simpson has apologized. No, not for that. As you know, he was convicted on multiple counts in 2008, serving a 9-33 to year sentence in Lovelock, Nevada. Tom? Uh, Lovelock? Yeah, that's right. He is an eminence grease. Um... He has been paroled on five of the eight charges. What he said to the parole board, I'm sorry for what has happened. I've spoken at length to both of the victims. They've apologized. I've apologized. I know their families. They know my family. I just wish I had never gone into that room. He means the room where his friend with a gun went to try to get his stuff back. He just wanted his stuff. Deadline Jakarta, Indonesia, Red Bull. Oh, speaking of all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna call an audible here and pause the apology music. Did you see the O.J. Simpson uh, documentary, five part documentary series on ESPN? Pretty pretty damn good, pretty damn long, pretty damn good. But like the dramatization of the O.J. trial, this one too left out the most risible and um, pathetic moment in the closing statements of the trial when Christopher Darden, the uh, Marsha Clark's co-prosecutor, stood before the jury and said, I want you to view, I want you to think about a house and there's a baby inside. That baby is justice. Now, I know we're used to thinking of justice as a blindfolded woman, but today justice is a baby and your job, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, is to save baby justice. They, They left that out. Deadline Indonesia, Jakarta, Indonesia, Red Bull has publicly apologized for shooting a commercial in which an athlete performed acrobatic stunts across one of Indonesia's ancient holy temples. The energy drink manufacturer issued an apology in national newspapers, admitting it shot the video at the 9th century Borobudur temple without permission from the appropriate authorities. The video in which a famous free-running athlete is shown jumping between the temple's stone stupas triggered outrage in Indonesia, where Borobudur is a revered Buddhist site and national icon. In one scene, the athlete is seen walking past a sign stating, 
no climbing in English and Indonesian before performing acrobatics throughout the heritage site. But that's not all. A German sausage company has been forced to apologize for a lewd commercial that appears to mock Gina Lisa Lofink, a model and reality TV star. Yes, they have that in Germany, too. At the center of an ongoing sexual assault case, Lofink says she may sue Wiesenhof, the sausage company, for damages. I'm just reading this one because I like the names. No, it's no, it's a good apology. In the TV spot, well-known German comedian Atze Schroeder, <laughs> he's that funny, holds up a freshly barbecued sausage and says to the camera, Are you ready for the biggest sausage of the summer? Here it is. After this one, Gina and Lisa will have to go to trauma therapy. The spot set off a storm of protest with many accusing Schroeder and Wiesenhoff of treating rape as a joke. Gina-Lisa Lofink claimed she was raped by two men in 2012 who filmed the encounter and posted the video online. Her case became the focus of national attention. She's become the face of a national campaign to change German law to make the principle of no means low legally binding in sexual assault cases. Wiesenhoff and Schroeder have apologized for the commercial, calling it a mistake. They claim the spot was shot last year before Lofink's rape case became widely known. Then why did they refer to her? Why would that have been funny if nobody had heard? Uh, and that it should never have been shown in the current context. We would like to apologize. We've taken the video off the Internet, the company said in a statement. Of course, there's no such thing. On his official Facebook page, Schroeder called the commercial very stupid, something I deeply regret. I'm completely and without exception against every form of sexual violence. He said he would donate his fee for the spot to a charity that fights child prostitution and would also do a benefit show. Please come. So sorry, I was so stupid, he wrote. Dateline Hartford, Connecticut. Speaking of which, longtime radio host Gary Craig, any bets? Not his full real name, has found himself in hot water after posting a video on YouTube where he pokes fun at Latino culture. In the video, which has since been taken down from YouTube and the website of his radio station, Craig made offensive comments at last weekend's Latino Fest, at one point mimicking Desi Arnaz in Cuba at a booth proudly displaying the Puerto Rican flag. Early in the video, Craig says he must be in some sort of peril universe amidst revelers at the annual event on the city's waterfront. WTIC-FM, which has employed Craig for many years, issued a statement, as did Craig himself. The station said Gary's video was inappropriate and was not in line. Get in line, Gary. Oh, not in line with the station's values. We're taking this matter seriously. Craig stated, I recognize it was a poor attempt at being humorous. It was insensitive and stupid, and I sincerely apologize. Let's check, check traffic with Stacy. Dateline Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. You may have seen that uh, a um, delegation of Houthi rebels in Kuwait used uh, had signs that said "Death to America," according to Yemeni news sources. Now the uh, delegation, head, headed by Muhammad. Abdul Salam has offered their apologies to the Under Secretary of State for Political Affairs at the, the U.S. Department of State, Thomas Shannon, meeting in Kuwait. The delegation explained that the slogan, Death to America, is used only locally, and they tried to convince him their apologies are sincere. Houthis added they never did and never will target any American interests. The uh, Houthis are worried after their meeting with the uh, representative. 
Dateline Philadelphia country music star Kenny Chesney apologized after he mistakenly told a packed crowd at a concert in Philadelphia that a Pennsylvania police officer had died. Fullcroft Borough police officer Christopher Dorman was shot seven times Friday morning during a drug investigation near Philadelphia. This is the war on drugs continues. The Associated Press reported that he's been hospitalized since the shooting, but he is expected to be released Monday afternoon. He planned to attend Chesney's concert this weekend, but happened to skip it, skip it since he was recovering from his injuries. He, um, in a video, he said, Hey, Kenny, don't forget about me. Chesney honored the officer at his show, although he was apparently misinformed about the officer's status. Before we get going with the rest of the show, last night a Philadelphia police officer was shot seven times, Chesney told the crowd. In the hospital on his bed, he passed away, but before he passed away, he made a video that he wanted to come tonight so bad, and he said, Kenny, please don't forget me, unquote. The police department was quick to correct the singer. In a statement written in all capital letters on its Facebook page, they said Dorman is, in fact, alive and well. Kenny Chesney called Dorman at his hospital Sunday morning and apologized, according to the police department. I think he apologized in uh, upper and lower. An American Red Cross hospital signboard that carried a super racist message about swim safety guidelines for children prompted an apology from the hospital. A photo circulated of the poster in Fort Morgan, Colorado. It has since been taken down. It read, be cool, follow the rules. Before the, below the heading were depictions of children playing. The white children were labeled as behaving cool. The children of color were depicted as, or, as misbehaving or not cool for breaking pool safety rules. American Red Cross has since confirmed it has discontinued production of the poster and has already removed it from the hospital's website and swim app. Who knew? The American Red Cross appreciates and is sensitive to the concerns raised regarding one of the water safety posters we produced. Hospital released in a statement to NBC BLK. That's right. We deeply apologize for any misunderstanding, as it was absolutely not our intent to offend anyone. We're committed to diversity and inclusion in all that we do every day. We're developing more appropriate materials. Our aquatic instructors have been notified of these concerns. And we will advocate that our aquatic partner facilities remove the poster. The apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen. A copyrighted feature of this broadcast. The missile missile defense crusade continues. India, last month announced... Well, about a month and a half ago announced it has conducted a ballistic missile intercept test to evaluate part of that country's multi-layered ballistic missile defense. The formal announcement said the test was successful. News reports published pictures of the interceptor being launched from the test range. But news reports aired a week later said it was a complete failure. In fact, according to the Hindu newspaper, the interceptor did not launch at all. Well, if you're going to have a failure, make it complete. See, that's what the interceptor never took off to intercept the incoming enemy missile, which merely fell into the Bay of Bengal, informed sources told the Hindu. Post-flight analysis is going on. How do you do post-flight analysis if it never took off? That would be post-sitting-there analysis. We do not know whether there was a problem in detecting the missile, whether radars tracked it and communicated it to the interceptor, said the sources. So... If you're if you're waiting on that um, missile defense thing, keep 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 on waiting. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it is uh, of course 
the holiday weekend in uh, the United States of America. It is commemorating the time when we uh, we cut loose from the United Kingdom. And, uh, God, we've been sorry about that ever since, much like Europe. But um, it's also been a weekend where, you know, it's now become well known enough to the general public that Friday afternoons before holiday weekends are the time when unpleasant news or inconvenient news is dumped. So the government can say, or the politician can say, well, we made it public, but it's at a time when nobody's paying attention. So it's win-win. This past Friday afternoon, the Obama administration revealed for the first time an estimate of the number of civilian casualties from its drone killing program. Somewhere between the low 60s and 116. I think it was 63, between 63 and 116, which, of course, is precise imprecision. It wasn't between 60 and 110. It was between 63 and 116. But we don't really know which. But, according to the Washington Post, even before the release... The administration has frequently depicted the drone campaign as almost unerringly precise, surgically precise. In 2011, then counterterrorism advisor John Brennan, now CIA director, said there hasn't been a single collateral death because of the exceptional proficiency, precision, and of the capabilities we've been able to develop. Those assertions have been undermined, says the Post, by the administration's acknowledgement of grievous errors in recent years, including several that unintentionally killed citizens of the United States. Of the eight Americans killed in U.S. strikes, only one, Anwar al-Awlaki, a senior al-Qaeda operative in Yemen, was deliberately targeted. So seven whoopses on U.S. citizens, at least. The uh, confusion has deepened as the administration ramped up its use of signature strikes. Those are neither signatures nor strikes in which targets are selected based on patterns of behavior seen as denoting terrorist activity even when the identities of those who would be killed is unknown. Signature strikes have come to account for more than two-thirds of the shots taken in Pakistan. Former senior U.S. official involved in overseeing the campaign told the Post that in one briefing, CIA officials argued that no civilians were left in the areas being patrolled by drones. Everybody who's in those drones, in, in those zones, is a combatant because everybody who is not a combatant has left, the former official said. That's how you get low civilian casualty figures. You redefine everyone as a combatant. And we, uh, and that, and that, of course is coming from an administration which wouldn't even admit that the CIA operated drone killings until, what time is it, yesterday? Also dumped, although a little bit before the 4th of July weekend, two former Air Force psychologists acknowledging that they used waterboarding and other harsh, harsh tactics against detainees in the war on terror. That's a striking development, according to a human rights lawyer. It's remarkable to see an end to the deniability of the existence of records of torture, said a senior fellow with Physicians for Human Rights. A significant step forward for accountability. 
What's that? I, I have to look that up. In federal court documents, the two psychologists, James Mitchell and John Bruce Jessen. How does John get Bruce for a nickname? They helped design the CIA's enhanced interrogation techniques, said they used harsh tactics, but they denied allegations of torture and war crimes. One, uh, one former CIA prisoner died in Bagram in Afghanistan. The suit is being filed by the ACLU on behalf of three former prisoners, including the dead one. The pair's attorneys, Mitchell and Jessen's attorneys, filed documents in the case. They acknowledge using waterboarding, loud music, confinement, slapping, and other harsh methods, denying they were torture. Defendants deny they committed torture, cruel, inhuman, and degrading treatment, non-consensual human experimentation, and or war crimes, their lawyers wrote. The records don't say why Mitchell and Jessen don't consider the techniques to be torture. They they didn't respond to many of the allegations uh, by the plaintiffs, saying the information's classified. They acknowledged, however, they placed a detainee in coffin-like boxes and used facial slaps, abdominal slaps, and facial grabs when questioning. Uh, Mitchell recommended a detainee who was withholding information not be provided with any amenities, his sleep be disrupted, and that loud noise be fed into his cell. They also admit, at least on one occasion, a detainee walked to the water table and sat down when one of the interrogators raised an eyebrow. Well, that was good training. The psychologist, despite having no expertise with al-Qaeda, devised a program that drew from 1960s experiments involving dogs in a theory called learn helplessness. Jane Mayer of The New Yorker said in her book, The Dark Side, that Mitchell and Chesson had basically reverse-engineered the techniques that Americans used to train our pilots against the possibility of torture by the Chinese communists during the Cold War. Gal Rahman, the uh, detainee who died, was interrogated at Bagram in Afghanistan. The Salt Pit was nicknamed. Subjected to isolation, darkness, and extreme cold water, he was later found dead of hypothermia. How could that be? The Justice Department has signaled it, it will not try to block the lawsuit. Happy Fourth of July. It's the Fourth of July. We'll shout it out loud. We'll laugh and we'll cry. We're angry and proud. We're kicking. We
A related subject, ladies and gentlemen. By January of 2004, when German citizen Khalid al-Majri arrived at the CIA's secret prison in Afghanistan, agency officials were pretty sure he wasn't a terrorist. They also knew he didn't know any terrorists or much about anything in the world of international terror. In short, reports McClatchy, Washington Bureau, they suspected they'd nabbed the wrong guy. Still, the agency continued to imprison and interrogate him, according to a recently released internal CIA Inspector General's report on Masri's arrest. The report claims Masri suffered no physical abuse during his wrongful imprisonment, although it acknowledges that for months he was kept in a small cell with a bucket for his waist. Masri says he was tortured, specifically that a medical examination against his will constituted sodomy. The case of Masri is hardly new. It's been known for a decade as a colossal example of CIA error, but the recently released IG report makes it clear the CIA's failures in the Masri case were even more outrageous than previous accounts have suggested. It's heavily redacted. Whole pages are blanks. The names of those involved have been removed for accountability. See, there's your account. But even though the agency re realized early on Masri was the wrong man, it couldn't figure out how to release him without having to acknowledge its mistake. The agency eventually dumped him unceremoniously in Albania, well, it's nice there this time, of, and essentially pretended his arrest and detention had never happened. The report, 90 pages long, and was written nine years ago, released just a couple of weeks ago after a Freedom of Information Act suit by the ACLU representing Masri. He's trying to get an official apology from the United States. 
Good luck with that, dude. The report says Masri was questioned in English, which he spoke only poorly. Some of the Americans involved in his detention have been held to account. Indeed, the two men most responsible for the errors... Oh, no, sorry, none have been held to account. Two most responsible for the errors have been promoted. Masri says his lawyer is haunted by the psychological torture inflicted by his detention in the secret Afghan holding sector in Bagram. The Inspector General's report is sweeping in its condemnation of the failures that took place throughout the CIA, blaming the mishandling of his arrest and detention on a series of breakdowns in tradecraft, process, management, and oversight. The lack of rigor in justifying action against an individual suspected of terrorist connections, the lack of understanding of the legal requirements of detention and rendition, the lack of guidance provided to officers making critical operations decisions with significant international implications, and the lack of management oversight. Those are the major failures it lists. Aside from that, it offered a particularly harsh judgment of Alec Station. That's not a guy. That's the CIA unit charging, charged with tracking down Osama bin Laden. Alec Station exaggerated the nature of the data it possessed, linking Masri to terrorism. After the decision had been made to repatriate him, implementation was marked by delay and bureaucratic infighting, says the report. It says all agency attorneys interviewed agreed that Masri did not meet the legal standard for rendition and detention, which required that a suspect be deemed a threat. Despite the fact the CIA was unable to find any evidence tying Masri to an al-Qaeda operative in Sudan, that was the initial suspicion, two agents justified their commitment to his continued detention, despite the diminishing rationale, by insisting that they knew he was bad. Unquote. The Inspector General's report. He's one of the bad guys. Uh, the errors began with the initial decision to hold him without attempting to verify the premise on which he was detained. The suspicion by Macedonian security agents that he was an al-Qaeda operative traveling on a false passport. No one at the CIA bothered to look at his passport until three months into his detention when they found that it was genuine. A short time later, CIA determined it had no basis to justify the continued detention of al-Masri, but it continued for two more months. The uh, two units involved suggested additional areas of questioning during the delay because they could not resolve the issue of his terrorist affiliation, which was non-existent, which would make it hard to resolve. News of Inspectors General, ladies and gentlemen. A copyrighted feature of this very broadcast. And now, another item of interest. Uh, Well, I'm going to allege that it's of interest for your listening, whatever. News from outside the bubble. Well, there's more big news to come out of Britain this week. The long-delayed Chilcot report into the British participation in the Iraq war is going to be issued this week. Prosecutors at the International Criminal Court will examine it for evidence of abuse and torture by British soldiers, reports the Sunday Telegraph. But they've already ruled out putting Tony Blair on trial for war crimes. 
The decision has outraged families of troops killed in Iraq who blame Blair for engineering the war. The report is coming out Wednesday is strongly expected to criticize Blair's role. But in an official statement of the Telegraph, the International Criminal Court and it's said its prosecutors would comb through the 2.3 million word report for evidence of war crimes committed by British troops, but that decision to go to war remained outside its remit, its area of competence. Individual soldiers could be prosecuted for war crimes, but not Blair. The ICC, based in The Hague, has become a preliminary examination of claims of torture and abuse by British soldier, so, so soldiers. The ICC is looking at introducing a crime of aggression, which would cover illegal invasions, but that is not yet crystallized in any event will not apply retroactively. Grieving relatives condemned the stance of the International Criminal Court. So, Tony Blair gets, you know, those wrists. Those wrists are going to be a little painful for a while. News from the outside the bubble. So, okay, now we get to American politics and uh, the big story of the week. Actually, twinned big stories of the week. The uh, meeting, the voluntary meeting by Hillary Clinton with uh, the director of the FBI, James Comey, on Saturday, in which she was questioned for three and a half hours. This, of course, involving the unending, apparently, controversy over her decision, which she has conceded as a mistake, to... um, use a private email server housed in uh, the Clintons' home in Chappaqua, New York, um, which has led to questions of whether classified information has been um, put in in improper danger. Of course, anything can be hacked, but uh, an open private server supposedly lacks even the uh, the protections that a government email server has. Um, that was overshadowed by the news that Bill Clinton had had a meeting, a chance meeting, on the tarmac at the Phoenix Sky Harbor International Airport. His plane was next to the plane of the Attorney General, Loretta Lynch. What a nutty coincidence. Bill Clinton had a 30-minute meeting with Loretta Lynch. Hillary Clinton told Meet the Press today she learned about that meeting only on the news. Loretta Lynch, in the crossfire of controversy, told Jonathan Capehart of the Washington Post this at the Aspen Ideas Festival. Um, As I've always indicated, the matter is being handled by career agents and investigators uh, with the Department of Justice. They've had it since the beginning. Uh, they are independent. Which predates your, which predates your tenure as it, Attorney General. It predates my tenure as Attorney General. It is the same team, uh, and they are acting independently. They follow the law. They follow the facts. That team will make findings. That is to say, they will make, they will come up with a chronology of what happened, the factual scenario. They will make recommendations as to how to resolve what those facts lead to. Um, those the, the recommendations will be reviewed by career supervisors in the Department of Justice and in the FBI and by the FBI director. Uh, and then, as is the common process, they present it to me, and I fully expect to accept their recommendations. The common process. 
Of course, it's a common case. Investigation into a former Secretary of State who's running for president. Here, for context, is what Eric Holder said about the case of retired General David Petraeus. Quote, I would expect that to the extent there is a matter of this magnitude, that would be decided at the highest levels of the Justice Department. Federal prosecutors recommended that Petraeus face criminal charges. He did not. Here's Hillary Clinton this week. Americans' trust in government has eroded. So has our trust in the media, business, religion, even professional sports. And I personally know I have work to do on this front. A lot of people tell pollsters they don't trust me. She said that at a, um, at a forum where she shared the platform with Jesse Jackson. Oh, it's a, it sounds like another episode of Clinton something next here on the show. Something the candidacy years. And then what did he say? We've been over this, Huma, and I'm tired. Just so I can make sure all of Hillary Land is on the same page. Okay, well. He said, those are all the questions I have for you, Madam Secretary. And you said? I said, Mr. Director, it hasn't been a a pleasure, (laughs) but I'm certainly glad it's over. And we laughed and I left. You laughed? I left. But before you left, you laughed. I'm just getting it straight. We both laughed. Mm -hmm. I left. Mm -hmm. He stayed. Well, hey, hon, how'd it go? I think I've got what I need. Bye, Mr. President. I was good. Well, Huma sure seemed glad to see me. Just doing a deep debrief. Mm-hmm. Think I can get a shallow one? <laughs> well, first of all, I need to find out what airport you're going to be at and whose plane happens to be parked next to yours. <laughs> You know, this is so stupid. I've known Loretta Lynch since I appointed her to the bench. We both got an hour to kill. It's hotter than Texas chili out there. We just share some shade and some A.C. Uh-huh. What a huh What part of this is so stupid don't you understand? I guess the part where I had to learn about it from the news. You remember the news. You used to be on it. It just seemed like such a little thing. I mean, babe, I schmooze with more important people than the Attorney General of the United States most days of every week. You want to be fielding all of my, hey, Hill, I just spent 15 minutes talking about grandchildren with the foreign minister of Tajikistan calls. (laughs) You knew I was meeting with the FBI director end of this week, right? It, it was on one of my calendars, but my computer's on eight kinds of fritz. So. You knew Loretta Lynch was the cabinet officer in charge of the agency that's not investigating me? That I did. Yeah. But I did not have legal relations with that woman. <sighs> <laughs> 
Oh, come on, hon. That's an inside joke. Not to me, it's not. Look, why do you think I gave you a wide berth this week until after you met with FBI Director Comey? Just wanted you to be clear of any possible taint of me after all this blew up. See? Thinking about you. Look, I know you probably were just trying to put the teensiest little friendly pinky on the scale on my behalf. Mm -hmm. And in other circumstances, I might actually appreciate it. Mm -hmm. And or you. But let's face it, hon. This has united the whole country left and right in revulsion and disbelief. I'm a uniter. <laughs> and I'm a divider. I'm dividing you from any appearances on my behalf until the convention. Mm -hmm. For lucky, and if Donald Trump stays healthy, people have plenty of reason to have forgotten all about all this by then. Until that time, mm -hmm. do me a favor. Go attend a gala in Malta. See if Tony Blair's busy this week. Mm, he's acting kind of needy these days. Not a fun plane ride. Look, Toots, what have I told you that Loretta said that the chances of charges being brought against you... No, no, are... no, no. I don't want to hear it. And you shouldn't have been... I, I didn't say I did. I just wanted to know if... Hun, hun, hun. We have plenty of ways of finding out the chances of charges being brought. We don't need to wheel out the 800-pound gorilla. It just attracts unwanted attention. As we've both discovered. Okay. Yeah, I'm trying to work on my trustworthiness. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and this is about as helpful as an endorsement from El Chapo. Okay. Okay, got it. Thank you. I appreciate you getting it. Mm-hmm. Now, did she say definitively there won't be any charges? Even misdemeanors, they're poison too. <laughs> okay, look, two things. All right. First, I really, really didn't discuss any of this with Loretta. Scout's honor. And I, I know I wasn't much of a scout, but you know what I mean. Okay. Second, I didn't discuss it because... <sighs> because I care too much about you. I guess I haven't always shown it. Mm. But in that airplane, on that tarmac, in that hundred-plus degree heat with a long-time appointee of mine sitting right in front of me, albeit flanked by her security detail, I think I showed it right there. You're caring. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for the clarification. My pleasure. Middle-aged angst and middle-aged thirst for power. Together they add up to Clinton something. The campaign years. We came like babies From a home across the sea See America And the people Opened up their arms To welcome us In America We came like children From a far and distant land To see America And the golden sun 
Now, ladies and gentlemen, news of our friend, the Adam. Clean, safe, too cheap to meet. Save, cheap, too cheap to meet. Cheap, save, too safe to meet. Save, save, too safe to meet. Well, uh, Addy is uh, sunning himself today. Private contractors are now guarding facilities that could produce catastrophic effects if attacked with help from an insider. This is a report from The New Yorker. G4S, that's the security company that Mateen, the Orlando shooter, worked for as a security guard, has partnered with more than 90% of U.S. nuclear facilities, the company's website notes. At one point, the firm supplied security officers to about the half the commercial nuclear power stations in the United States. Those guards were reportedly caught sleeping on the job. This is the same company that failed uh, its contract to provide secure and sufficient security personnel 
for the London Olympics in 2012. A 2006 federal investigation found that the Turkey Point nuclear, nuclear station in Florida, guards employed by a division of G4S were willfully inattentive to duty or served as lookouts such that other security officers could be inattentive while on duty. They were sleeping in break rooms and guard towers. At Peach Bottom in Pennsylvania in 2007, a security officer complained to his superior in the company that fellow officers were exhausted sleeping on the job and jeopardizing the security of the plant. His supervisor dismissed his concerns. The NRC failed to take action. The company changed its name to G4S. It was Wackenhut. Deadline Tokyo, Japan's re-embrace of nuclear power on display last week with the recertification of two old reactors is prompting some critics to warn Tokyo is neglecting the lessons of Fukushima. As it became clear, they were going to allow extensions of couple of reactors. A former commissioner broke a silence maintained since he left the Nuclear Regulatory Authority in 2014 and said a sense of crisis over security and safety prompted him to go public and to urge more attention to earthquake risk. Kunihiko Shimazaki said a powerful quake in April showed the risk to some of 40, uh, Japan's 42 operable nuclear reactors was being underestimated. I cannot stand by without doing anything. We may have another tragedy, and if that happens, it could not be something that was beyond expectations, he said. The regulator said it would take into account Shimazaki's position in some of its assessments. And The Guardian reports this year, this week, that the U.S. solar industry is... Uh, installing a 94-point increase over the record 7.5 gigawatts installed last year. For the first time, more solar systems came online than natural gas power plants, currently the top source of electricity in the U.S., in 2015 as measured in megawatts. Clean, cheap, maybe not cheap enough. Our friend, the Atom. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations, over NPR worldwide throughout Europe. The U.S.N. 440 cable system in Japan, around the world, through the facilities of the American Forces Network, up and down the east coast of North America, via the shortwave giant WBCQ, The Planet, on the mighty 104 in Berlin, on Soho Radio in London, around the world, via the Internet, at two different locations, live and archived, whenever you want it, at harryshare.com and kcsn.org. 
available for your smartphone through Stitcher.com and available as a free podcast from Sidro Network, SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn, and WWNO.org. And it'll be just like the normal process being followed. If you'd agree to join with me then, would you already? Thank you very much. Uh huh. Chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and Exile and Hawaii desks. Thanks as always to Pam Halstead and to Jenny Lawson here at WWNO New Orleans, proving we could do a live show. The email address for this program, a playlist of the music heard here on, and your ability, you have the ability to get Cars I Talk t shirts. That's all at harryshare.com. And me, I'm the Harry Share on the Twitter. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from New Orleans. <laughs>